0: Our sermon text this evening is Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. Please hear again the word of God. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Please pray with me. Father, your word is truth and you are a refuge to all who seek you. We ask, O God, that you would bless your word, that you would bless us in the hearing of it and in the preaching of it. We ask, O God, that you would purify the mouth of your servant, that your truth would be proclaimed and nothing else. We ask, O Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive it, and that in hearing your word, O God, we would believe it, and that in believing it, we would be saved to the uttermost. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I don't often do this, and that is to say review some of the things that we've gone over, but I I realize now we've made it to chapter 6 of the epistle to the Romans, and it is fitting, I think, to just pause for a moment this evening and review just a little bit of where we have been. And the reason why is that beginning in chapter 6, we have transitioned in the book of Romans, and we are now introducing new doctrines that had not been present earlier in the book. So if you can recall back in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3, we learned that the wrath of God was being revealed from heaven against all of the unrighteousness of men. And this was true whether one was a Jew or a Gentile. All men were guilty or are guilty of breaking God's law. And this is true whether we are speaking of the law of Moses, which God gave to the Jews, ...or to the law of nature which God has placed in the heart of every man. Everyone is guilty. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Beginning in chapter 3 and in verse 21, we learned of a righteousness of God. A righteousness that comes apart from the works of the law. And this righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ... Whom God put forward as a propitiation, a wrath-removing sacrifice. Jesus gave his righteous life in place of sinners so that God could justify the ungodly. This justification includes pardon for sins and a reckoning or counting of righteousness of the sinner in the sight of God. Based upon something we called imputation. God credits to the sinner the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this comes only by faith in Jesus Christ. Then we saw in chapter 4 this doctrine of justification by faith illustrated. Illustrated in the life of Abraham. Illustrated in David. And in Abraham in particular we saw that Abraham was not justified by any works that he had done. But rather he was justified By believing God's promises. Then when we came to chapter 5, we learned about representation and imputation and union. Remember the representation. There are two men who stand at the head of all humanity. Adam, in whose fall we sinned all, and Jesus Christ. Everyone who is united to Jesus Christ by faith, receives by imputation the benefits of the righteousness rather of jesus christ so then when we came to chapter six we started learning about what we'll call sanctification last week in chapter six verses one through four we learned about the necessity of sanctification remember the apostle had just said where where sin increases grace increases all the more and then he answered a possible question. If, if my sin makes grace increase, maybe I should sin more to get more grace. And the apostle said, by no means. For how can we who died to sin live in sin any longer? Do you see, he's saying it is actually necessary that you, or on the contrary, it's impossible that you are not sanctified. Therefore, we see the necessity of sanctification. The passage that we just read this evening, verses 5 through 11, tells us about the certainty of our sanctification. We read it in verse 5. It says, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is a confirmation of what we read back in chapter 6, verse 4, which says we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In many ways, this is just a repetition in verse 5 of what we read in verse 4. But there is a key word that the apostle adds here, and the word is certainly. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And that is the message of this evening's sermon, the certainty of sanctification. He means to say here that everyone who shares in the benefits of Christ's death will also most certainly without fail share in the benefits of his resurrection. Now, How can we, being weighed down with sin, being harassed by temptations, being filled with doubts, being plagued by guilt, how can we be certain of sanctification? The answer is spelled out for us in these verses, in which we see the certainty of our sanctification based upon the nature and causes of our sanctification the nature and causes of our sanctification. First of all, what do we mean by sanctification? Well, the word sanctify you see in the Bible oftentimes refers to a cleansing or purifying of something. For instance, in the Old Testament, you had the priests, the sons of Aaron, and they were sanctified through purification. And they went through elaborate ceremonies and rituals in order to be sanctified. But there is more to the notion of sanctification than purifying. You see, the point was not simply that they were cleansed. The point was that they were being set apart to be used by God. They were purified so that they were suitable for God's use. By means of cleansing, they were set apart to God. And that's really the, the principal idea of sanctification, to be set apart to God. Now, sanctification really has two parts to it, which we'll discuss from this text. There is, number one, a setting apart from sin, right? Taking something that's in sin, taking it out of the sin. So there's a setting apart from sin and a setting apart to God. So in sanctification, principally, what we're talking about is God taking sinners, removing them from sin, and then placing them in a relationship with himself. We call these two parts mortification and vivification. Mortification refers to dying to sin. Vivification refers to living to God. Our shorter catechism defines sanctification this way. Question 35. Sanctification is... The work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Now, the word mortify doesn't just mean to be scared, but it does mean to kill something. We see this mortification in verses 6 And seven, and eleven. In verse six, we read that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So the picture here is that our old man, which is to say Adam, more specifically than the corruption and guilt that we inherited from Adam, was crucified with Jesus Christ. In order that the body of sin, that is to say the the sinful corruptions, the sinful part of you might be done away with, might be destroyed, might be broken down, brought to nothing. And then again in verse 7, he who has died has been freed from sin. There's a sense in which dying frees us from our debts, right? We talked last time, say, in, in a marriage, when one spouse dies, The other spouse is free. Well, as it pertains to sin, when a man dies to pay the penalty of his sin, he is then free from the tyranny of that sin. And then again in verse 11, the apostle says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. So we're talking here then about this part of sanctification we call mortification. This dying to sin. Notice that death implies a separation or a removal from sin's power and authority. In verse 6, that mortification is said to free us from the bondage of sin. It no longer has dominion over us in verse 9. If you look at that word dominion, it's lordship. And what this implies is that apart from dying to sin, we are actually slaves to sin Jesus said whoever sins is a slave to sin but what Paul is talking about here is that there's a way that you can die to sin and be released from that bondage apart from death to sin however we remain in bondage to sin yet by being united with Christ in his death we are freed from it so that's mortification The second part we call vivification. That means to make alive. And it follows as a consequence from mortification. There is a death. And if it is a death in Christ, a death in union with Christ, a death that is burial with Christ, crucified with him, it necessarily follows that there will be a raising again, a raising to life, a newness of life. Verse 5 says, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So you see in this passage, the first half talks about our death to sin, and the second part talks about our being made alive to God. Verse 8 says, if we died with Christ, so there's the mortification, We believe that we shall also live with him. There's the vivification. Now when we speak of this, we mean that just as we are dead to sin, we are alive to God. That is to say that we are no longer subject to sin. We are legally freed from its bondage. And we are actually free to live to please God. This was true for Christ. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, there was a certain sense in which death had some dominion over Christ. How was that? Not because Christ sinned, but because he voluntarily took upon himself the sins of his people and subjected himself to death. His crucifixion, then, was him being in bondage, as it were, to sin. And that was what brought about his death. However, having died to that, right, having been crucified, having paid the penalty, having broken the bonds, he himself was resurrected to live to God. So there's a a sense in which Christ himself was mortified and vivified, Not because he was a sinner, but because he carried in himself the sins of his people and stood in our place as a representative. And this is true for everyone who dies with Christ. If we died with Christ, verse 8, we believe we shall also live with him. And again in verse 11, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what I want you to see here in the nature of sanctification is that it is a twofold setting apart. God does two things one, sets us apart from sin, takes us away from it by killing us, as it were, in the, in the crucifixion of Christ, and two, setting us apart unto himself by making us alive to him. The certainty of this sanctification then rests on this fact. Everyone who dies with Christ shall live with him. Jesus died to sin and he lives to God. And everyone who believes in Jesus goes where Jesus goes in this respect. When Jesus was on the cross, those who believe in him went to the cross when Jesus was in the grave, those who believe in him went to the grave. When Jesus resurrected, those who believe in him likewise were resurrected. So that is the nature of our sanctification. Let's look for a moment at some of the causes of it. We see, first of all, though, that we can be certain that we are going to be sanctified because of its nature. If we die with Christ, we will, God will have to raise us with him. They go together because Jesus died and rose again. And if I'm united with him, if I am with him, then I too will be raised to walk in newness of life. But the causes. In this passage, we find three of them. The first we'll call the efficient cause. The second we will call the meritorious cause. And the third we will call the instrumental cause. First, the efficient cause. In the word efficient you hear something like work right power and by efficient cause we mean to say what is the power by which this work of sanctification is accomplished well look at me look with me at verses 5 and 6 and 7 verse 5 if we have been united together in the likeness of his death certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, if we have been united, our old man was crucified with him. He who has died, verse 7, has been freed from sin. What I want you to notice is that all of these verbs are in the passive voice. We have been united. We have been Died, we have been freed, we shall be united. And what I mean by the passive voice is that we are not the actors, we are not the ones performing the action that is being described by these verbs. We are rather the recipients of the action. In all of this, the sinner, us, is not the one who is performing the actions, but rather the one receiving the actions. Now who, beloved, is the one performing this work? Well, it is the one who unites us to Christ, the one who separates us from sin, and the one who separates us unto himself. And this is what we read in the Shorter Catechism. Sanctification is a work of God's grace, whereby he, do you understand, that God himself is the efficient cause of our sanctification. And this is partly why our sanctification is certain. Because it is God Almighty who is performing the work. And this is an important truth. When we think of sanctification, what do we tend to think of? We tend to think of our striving, our efforts, our even good works. And beloved, let me assure you, these things are necessary. And we will come to them soon enough. However, for now, you must understand this. Sanctification is first and foremost a work of God's grace. God is the principal actor in sanctification. Now we are used to saying that with respect to justification. In justification, God reckons to us righteousness. He counts us as righteous. He forgives our sins. We see God as the actor and we're a recipient. This is true in sanctification as well. In our sanctification, God is the one who is working. All those other things, our striving, our obedience, our good works, those are not the causes, but rather the effects of God's working in us. So then the efficient cause is God, the grace of God. The next cause we'll call the meritorious cause. By meritorious, we mean upon what merit or virtue do we get all of these benefits? On what principle, what worth is this work of sanctification completed in us? Now we know that sanctification involves obedience and good works. Perhaps this is where they fit in. Does this mean, for example, that our dying to sin And being made alive to God, our sanctification, does it result from our striving, our obedience, our good works? Well, consider the following. In verse 5, we are united in the likeness of his death and resurrection. Beloved, we did not physically die or raise from the dead. For the payment of our sins, did we? No, instead Christ died for our sins. And we are united with him in the likeness of his death. Look at verse 6. Our old man was crucified, hear this, with him. Who? With Christ. Verse 7. If we died with Christ, we believe we shall live with him. Here again. Both the death and the resurrection, which are are being spoken of, are with him. In his death and in his resurrection comes our death and resurrection as it pertains to sanctification. Verse 10. The death that Christ died, he died once for all. You all are all, right? You who believe in Christ are those all. So what I want you to see then is that in this passage, our sanctification is actually based upon the merit and virtue of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's where the worth and and efficacy of it comes from. Jesus dying and raising from the dead provides the worth and merit that God uses to sanctify us. We come now to the third cause in this passage of our sanctification. We'll call it the instrumental cause. And by instrumental, we mean this. How or by what means do we become partakers of Christ's death for mortification and vivification? In other words, is there some means or instrument that God uses to give us this grace? Well, Verse 6 says this. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 8, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 11, one more. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. Knowing, believe, knowing, reckon yourselves. What are these terms describing? These terms are describing the instrumental cause of our sanctification. How do we become partakers of the benefits of mortification and vivification? Faith by faith faith is the instrumental cause of your sanctification this is what's written in first corinthians chapter 1 verses 30 and 31 paul says you are in christ jesus who has become for us the wisdom of god and righteousness and sanctification and redemption it is written he who glories let him glory in the lord So you see, Jesus becomes our sanctification. He becomes that grace of God to us. The way we access it, the way we receive it, is by faith in him. Now how did we receive, beloved, how did we receive the benefits of our justification? Faith in Christ. How do we receive sanctification? Faith in Christ. The Westminster Confession, chapter 14. Do you know our confession has a whole chapter on this topic, right? Chapter 14, section 2 says this. The principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification. And it continues. Sanctification and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. What I want you to see here is that we access and receive the benefits of sanctification The same way that we receive all other benefits. Faith in Christ. So the certainty of the by the way, let me let me stop here for just a moment and address a mistake that Christians sometimes make with this. Sometimes they say that sanctification is caused by our justification. But that's not exactly correct, is it? What we've seen here is not indeed our being justified in God's sight that causes us to be mortified and vivified. But rather, it is the merits of Christ being applied to us by the powerful working of the grace of God and our faith in Christ. That very same faith, that very same way that we grab hold of Christ for justification, God also mortifies and vivifies us in sanctification. And that's another mistake sometimes we make. We think that the faith for sanctification is simply believing that God has forgiven our sins. That's true. But here this faith grabs hold of Christ for more than just the past forgiveness of sins. It grabs hold of Christ hoping that he will indeed make us alive to God so that we can walk in newness of life. Do you see the content of the faith Then, having been justified, the content of our faith in sanctification grows and extends to include dying to sin and being made alive to God. All of this is based upon the work of God who has set you apart from sin, And set you apart to himself. He is powerfully working in you. And Paul will explain this later. He doesn't mention in this passage the work of the Holy Spirit. But when we get a little further in the book of Romans, we will see the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the whole Trinity is working to accomplish this for you. God powerfully working to free you from the bondage of sin. And make you free to serve him. All of this based upon the perfect and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and received by the empty hand of faith. Now, in this passage, we did not talk about any commands. But did you know there is a command in these verses? Did you notice it? It's right there at the end in verse 11. There is a command in this passage. It's an imperative. It means something God is commanding us to do. It's right there in verse 11 if you would be certain of your sanctification, here's what you must do. You must reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the command. You must consider, the word that's translated reckon here is the same word that is translated reckon or impute when God counts us righteous. But you, you Must consider yourself, you must think of yourself as being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you are trusting God, right, you are believing it, you are counting yourself, you know that you have been united with Christ, therefore you've been buried with Him. And if you've been buried with Him, God is going to raise you with Him. You are believing God to do that, and that is the faith that you have in God, in Christ. And when you do that, you can be like the line from Augustus Toplady's Rock of Ages. We're going to sing it in just a few moments. And I wonder, have you often thought of this as a hymn pertaining to sanctification? Let me read this line to you, this verse to you. Rock of, I'm not going to sing it. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin, the double cure. Save me from wrath and make me pure. Do you see what he is doing here? He's saying, let your sufferings, your crucifixion, your resurrection, let your work be to me the double cure of sin. Take away not only the penalty, but also the power. Be of sin, the double cure. Save from wrath. And make me pure. So how can you be certain of your sanctification? Well, by understanding the nature of it. And understanding the causes of it. In sanctification, God sets you apart from sin. And sets you apart unto himself. He does this by his grace and his powerful working. Based upon the work of Jesus Christ. And all through your faith. Let us pray. Almighty God, indeed we can't ask much better than this. That you would apply to us the merits of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be to us of sin the double cure. Help us, O oh God, in Christ's name. Amen.